Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. It gives users slash me in uh, support emails the ability to create features that I haven't actually built into the app yet. And this is especially true with iOS 14, because in iOS 14, they just added the ability for you to create timer shortcuts that run based on a timer and run in the background. So that means one of the most requested features I get is I want the ability to trigger dark noise to run a certain uh, sound in the morning at, you know, 30 minutes before I wake up. But that was not possible. iOS does not let people just like arbitrarily turn themselves on and do something at some random time. But now, because I have shortcut support where you can, you know, start any sound you want with a shortcut, with iOS 14, I'll be able to say, hey, you can just build this little shortcut that'll say, run this sound at this time. And now you'll have that exact thing that you want. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros and happy WWDC week. To cover what was announced, we are joined by Charlie Chapman, the creator of Dark Noise. And in the first half of this episode, we dive deep into what all was announced for iPad OS 14 and a little bit on iOS 14. And then to close up the episode, we talk about his app, Dark Noise. And lots of great stuff is coming to the iPad. Not as much as I think many of us would have liked, but some great things are coming to iPad OS, and we'll be diving to what those things are in this episode. As a reminder, you can support the podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Every dollar is of huge help and is greatly, greatly appreciated. You can also support the podcast by just heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Every review is greatly helpful as it helps the show be more visible in search. And with that, here's my interview with Charlie all about iPadOS 14 and dark noise. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been wanting to have you on for a while because I'm a huge fan of dark noise. I use it pretty much every day. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But also, it's uh, WWDC week. That it is. Can you first kind of introduce yourself and kind of how you use the iPad? My name is Charlie Chapman. Uh, I'm a iOS developer and also obviously a Apple device user, I guess. The iPad itself, like the first version of the iPad that I got was actually, uh, it was the like cheapest iPad that they made. I bought pre-owned. This was before it even had like pencil support and everything. It was just for our kids because we were going on a really long uh, vacation drive and we were trying to, well, we were trying to decide whether to fly or drive and we decided it was way cheaper to drive and then we'd put some of that money into buying a cheap used iPad to be our uh, kids distractor movie player thing. Sure. Yeah. And weirdly we kind of fell in love with the iPad through that. Like I ended up using it a lot uh, with those like kind of janky capacitive pencils for sketching notes out or uh, even like some drawing and sketching stuff. And so eventually for my birthday, I got the 2018 iPad pro with the pencil kind of thinking, all right, this maybe would be, will be a waste of money. We'll see how much I actually use it. And I just completely like fell in love with it. I use it all the time in particular for drawing. Uh, It is really, really helpful for like note taking and stuff like that, but also for like early stages for design work, whether it's, you know, for actual artwork I'm doing or design work for, you know, UI uh, for apps or something like that. Very cool. And so, yeah, the pencil is something you use quite a bit. And uh, the pencil is pretty much the big new thing we got with iPad OS 14. It was uh, not a huge feature year for iPad. Did you ever have a Newton back in the day? I did not. My mom had a some Windows PDA 
that had, you know, some horrible uh, handwriting recognition, but that's the closest I think I ever got to a Newton. Gotcha. Yeah. I owned one in like a little bit after the iPhone came out, uh, like like 2010, 2011. I bought it to use just to like see what this thing is. And uh, even at that time, it was just a delightful experience just using the operating system and uh, that whole scratching out words to erase it. And that is now alive and well with Scribble and iPad OS 14. Do you think you'll end up using this much? You know, it's it's one of those things where when they were announcing it, I was kind of like, oh, that'll be cool. I bet a lot of people like that. But in my head, it was going to be kind of like on the watch which I know a lot of people use, but I never use. Like, I'm not really much of one for wanting to write out my words versus typing them. But then the more I thought about it, the actual use case that he used to say why they built it applies to me directly, which is when you're drawing and you're in that context of using the pencil, it is kind of jarring to to have to, like, bounce back out to the software keyboard. Or in my case, like, I have the, the Magic Keyboard, and a lot of times when I'm drawing at my desk... I'll flip it upside down. Yeah. And it looks it looks pretty bizarre because the keyboard like kind of flies up in the air because it doesn't <laughs> actually bend all the way back. Right. But it actually holds it at a nice uh at a nice angle for the way I use it anyway. And so I use it that way a lot. But if I'm in like Photoshop or uh Affinity uh designer or something, sometimes I need to rename a layer or whatever. And you know, you double tap that and then it doesn't pop up the software keyboard because I have a keyboard attached. And I <laughs> either have to flip my whole device upside down so I can use the keyboard. Uh, rip it off so I can use the software keyboard or what I actually end up doing, which probably takes 10 times longer than either of those, which is try to type upside down on my keyboard. And so (laughs) uh, in those situations, I think it's actually going to be really nice because, you know, I'm just writing a small little thing. A lot of times I'm just tweaking a word or whatever, especially if they can get the backspace space stuff to work pretty well or seamlessly. Yeah. Then I think I actually will end up using it a lot. So it was funny because I kind of was just like, oh, a lot of people will be happy. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, this is going to be really great. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because they did think out how this all should work in an elegant way back with the Newton, and it's it's fun to see them bring that back. And I was testing it today, and I, I have the beta on my 10.5-inch iPad Pro. I did not put it on my production machine quite yet, but it works really well. And Cursive is also supported and recognizes my Cursive really well, and I it's just so satisfying having to scratch that uh, to get rid of words. I wish the sound effect carried over from the Newton. That does not appear yeah. to be there yet. <laughs> and you can uh, circle words to select words. And it's just a really thought out. That's the part that's really cool to me is the like highlighting. Like specifically being able to copy and paste out of notes into a text format. Yeah, the notes app got a major overhaul with this. You're able to recognize shapes, which the Newton could also do. So another Newton thing. But you're also able to copy and text out of that into just pure text documents. And yeah, that seems really well thought out. I've never really used the notes that much for that kind of work because I like to be able to zoom in traditionally with how when I do kind of handwritten stuff. Right. Is the notes app something you, you use for this kind of work? or I, I don't really ever handwrite in the notes app. So I use good notes for my like just kind of endless journal kind of thing like I'll just have a good notes for work and a good notes for dark noise and you know some of my other projects and that's where I'll usually do like sketching out flowcharts or diagrams or little UI designs or something like that I find having a like specific constrained page fits better with my mental model and notes is sort of weird feeling for doing that for whatever reason yeah but I use notes all the time for you know actual like regular text right yeah gotcha and 
Anything else on the pencil stuff in iPad OS 14? That was, uh, it was kind of interesting. I was waiting for like, what are the big things? And I guess Scribble is the major big thing this year. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Because a lot of the iPad OS stuff was like, they put it in the iPad OS section, but it was really for all of iOS. Like, you know, they started talking about the, it not taking up your full screen whenever you get a call. Yeah. And they were talking about, they waited for the iPad section and they were talking about it in the context of the iPad. And I was like, are they really going to do that and not bring that to the phone? Like, that's going to make so many people mad. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, they said it was coming to everything. So Yeah, I, I installed it on my iPhone SE, the original iPhone SE, and it runs nice and fast there, and it does no longer take over the full screen anymore, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's just such a nice thing on iPad, especially because I'll be in the middle of something, and the whole iPad screen just it's taken over. I was playing um, Last of Us Part Two with Remote Play by uh ipad pro and i got a phone call and oh, uh, i had to yeah. make sure i had the <laughs> hit the home button on my playstation controllers so i don't die <laughs> yeah like my problem is i have you know i have a whole lot of test devices uh as well as just a bunch of apple stuff on my desk at all times and so if i get a call whether it's a, a you know an actual phone call or slack or something that i have on most of my devices it's like every single screen in my office just starts making sounds and <laughs> A lot of times I'm playing music like to my home pod from something else and I can't pause the music before I answer the phone on a different device because every one of them is completely blocked. So yeah. I'm hoping it at least solves that scenario. And Siri also, beyond just it not being so obtrusive, it seems to gain extra functionality by being almost another window. So you have like slide over, you have picture in picture, and Siri almost functions as another kind of app that you can just have up. Yeah, I'm curious to see. It's interesting that they didn't go too much into details on new Siri capabilities. I'm interested to see what we get out of some of the sessions, like if they've opened any of that up for us any better than it was before. They kind of kept it toned down. I mean, generally across the board, I was, I as a developer was pretty happy with how light it felt like this iOS release was because iOS 13 was rough. Uh, as a dev, it was it was rough. Every point release, you, you kind of like your heart sank a little bit. You're like, oh no, what's about to happen? And so, I, I'm hoping this is more like an iOS 12 where it feels a little more stable, and we all get a chance to breathe before you know the next giant buggy, uh, more more feature rich version comes through or something. <laughs> yeah, so far so good with stability on the devices I've installed it on, including that iPhone SE. No big crashes or anything. So. Maybe it is a just a more stable release this time around. Yeah, I feel like the fact that they they let you install a profile and do an over the air update instead of making you go through all the like iTunes or whatever that would be in Catalina World now manual way of doing it through the Mac. Uh, I feel like they used to do that to try and like <laughs> uh, scare off more people so less people were doing those early betas. And the fact that they didn't do that was kind of a good sign, as well as the fact that it supports the exact same devices that ios 13 supports like both of those things were kind of signals to me that this might be a little bit more stable release hopefully have you installed it on any devices yet i have ios 14 on uh i have an old iphone 6s which i was very happy that they kept support for right yeah uh so i have it on there and then i just got big sur installed on my i i realize i actually have a spare mac uh that i can install it on still that this is the first time that's ever happened to me so uh, i have that and was playing around with that this morning and speaking of the mac the design language for ipad apps seems to be learning a lot from the mac you've got these sidebars that are more you know encouraged by apple i think with third-party developers using those two and pull down menus the files app is a good example before you had to 
drag your finger down to reveal all these things you could do with your files. Now there's just a pull-down menu. Do you like this direction? I am a big fan. I, I understand. Well, one, I understand that most, well, at least on the Mac side, most people are probably going to be upset. But I think the the sort of convergence of the design language is going to be a net positive because I think the iPad and the Mac, both of them are going to benefit greatly from having developers that can share resources between the two. I think a huge part of the iPad success is the fact that it could sort of piggyback off of the development of the iPhone, right? Like you had every app available to you that was on the iPhone, even if it was terrible. And then a small step up gave you a maybe blown up, maybe not super well designed, but still a version of that app that works on the iPad screen in a relatively good way. And that didn't take a lot of work from devs. And then a step up from that is apps specifically built and designed around the iPad. But to have that last level up, you have to have a viable platform with lots and lots of users, you know what I mean, to be able to support that. And I think those early stages help make that platform a more viable foundation for the the better development to happen on. And I think that's what you've been seeing on the Mac is you didn't get that crossover. And so as all the developers sort of moved into the mobile space, you lost a lot of the native Mac development happening, which is why most Mac development was, you know, Electron, because that's that that sort of web uh, developer base. And so I think this convergence between the Mac and the iPad and the sort of shared resources that can happen behind the scenes, and the same goes for the design language, the more professional apps you're going to see on the iPad as well as the more utility apps you'll see on the Mac. So I I think there's going to be pain points with this, and there's obviously going to be negatives because it's slightly less specified for those platforms. But I think all in all, it's going to end up with... It's going to be better off for both by a lot. Right. And with our Macs, Apple Silicon Macs, uh, the iPhone apps that run natively, it seems like, oh, those actually remind me of just little widget apps, which are kind of fun to have, just all these little widget apps that are just iPhone apps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And honestly, it makes more sense on the Mac than it makes on the than the weird view on the iPad. Like right. if you try to run Instagram on your iPad, because at least it can run in a tiny window. Uh, it looks weird to have a tiny window floating in black on the iPad. Yeah, I'd love if you could just have picture-in-picture kind of mode for iPhone apps. Just like let them be floating windows. <laughs> but nope. Yeah, at least at least not yet. <laughs> not yet. Nope. And Apple mentioned Logic and Final Cut Pro are running on Apple Silicon, the A12Z, the same chip that's in my iPad Pro. Uh, do you think we'll get the interface designed for iPad in the next year or so? Or will they just be stubborn and say, that's a Mac thing and you need a Mac for this? I'm going to guess it's not stubbornness. I don't think they have a concept, like a philosophical problem with sort of professional creative software on, on the Mac. In fact, uh, last year, Reality Composer, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like an app for... Uh, for building out like AR experiences that is it's on the Mac, but it's also on iPad and iOS and the iPad version of that. You can feel uh, the influences of Mac design in that app. And a lot of the stuff they were showing off for this year with the side panels and stuff, they exist in a slightly different form in that reality composer app. And honestly, I would recommend if you haven't tried it, even if you don't care about 3d or AR, it's worth downloading just to kind of feel what a sort of professional creative piece of software by Apple can feel like on the iPad because it it does have a lot of those uh, sort of elements to it. I think the bigger thing with Logic and Final Cut Pro is just it's a lot of work, like specifically on the design and memory management side of things to bring that over onto the iPad is like those are those are applications that have been built up over, you know, I guess a decade 
or longer on AppKit. And so to try and bring those to the iPad, which has a very different sort of memory management system, and like, you know, we still don't have the same like level of RAM uh, on, on an iPad as we typically have. Like even the Macs they were showing off, those had 16 gigs of RAM, I think. Sure. Well, at least the developer kit did. So there's a bunch of issues you could run into with, with big professional apps where you have lots of layers with audio streams and video streams going at once. I think that's probably the bigger thing than than the architecture of the chip. Because if they've gotten like AppKit working on, or AppKit and Foundation, the, the sort of API low-level stuff, that's where the work is to translate it over to ARM. But the actual software itself, it's kind of like not as big of a deal in terms of the silicon. Yeah, it's curious with the whole RAM thing, because I have a 2011 MacBook Air, and it runs Final Cut Pro 10 just fine. It just slows down during like the exports and when it's rendering video. But from RAM, it seems to handle their SSDs in those old MacBook Airs, and they're even faster SSDs now. So I feel like swapping to RAM or swapping to the internal SSD is not a huge slowdown in general use for even big apps like that. Am I missing something there? Well, so I there's like the amount of yeah, like there's like the uh, swapping to the SSD itself, but then also just like how iOS manages memory versus how Mac OS manages memory. Like you can have your memory just like yanked away from you at any time on iOS in a way that doesn't really exist on the Mac. Now, to be clear, I have not done any like heavy AppKit Mac development or on the iPad either for uh, something that like intensive. So I, yeah. I don't really fully understand it super well. But I know that was a big part of, of bringing Photoshop over was just figuring out how do you deal with the fact that you have so much less RAM and you don't have it accessible to you you know, guaranteed at all times, but somehow they figured it out. I think it's figure outable. Yeah. It's just, it is a lot of work is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And they, they're spending a lot of time getting lots of other pieces in place. So I think eventually we'll see something like that for sure. Yeah. It's uh, definitely gonna be an interesting future with our max. Cause it is more shared than it was in the past for sure. In major ways, another Mac like thing is the redesign of search. And it feels a lot more like spotlight on the Mac and it'll be faster at launching apps. It, that's kind of one of the main things it's now focused on. You can still drag and drop apps from this new search to multitasking like you could before. Uh, any other tweaks about search that you're excited about here? I'm just really excited that they're making it more like Spotlight. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I command spacebar on my iPad and type the first three letters of an app name and then just hit enter like reflectively because reflexively, that's what I'm used to doing on the Mac. And, you know, it doesn't open my app. (laughs) And so that'll be nice. I'm curious to see how fast it is because iOS seems to have a more slow, not necessarily in terms of like speed of the device, but in terms of like reaction time to especially text stuff. So I'm curious to see how quickly it responds relative to the Mac because the Mac, it's like instantly if I type three letters and hit enter, I'm just going to get what I'm trying to get. So we'll see. Playing around with it on my iPhone, it was a little bit slow, but one, it's the first beta, and two, this is literally like the oldest device that they support. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd imagine they're trying to work to make it like that Mac experience is my Right, guess. that would be the hope. And I'm glad to see that one thing that, I don't think the Mac has this, but Siri suggestions for apps. Right. Yeah, it is, it is kind of remarkable how often it's right. And 
I guess you'll be able to do kind of searching within apps more, which you could in the past, I thought. I'm not, I wasn't quite clear on what new advanced features were actually being brought over to here with web searches and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm guessing it's utilizing a lot of what was already there, uh, maybe taking advantage of it more, or maybe just kind of porting it over. We'll see. Because uh, definitely the in-app search stuff existed before. Like, Dark Noise supports that. The existing search in iOS 13 and before was not necessarily the most uh, elegant. So we'll see how it actually shakes out. But uh, it is nice that they're at least keeping that around because it seems like something that could definitely be useful. Yeah, and I'm curious if it becomes more contextual. If you're in a certain app, it knows you're there and it prioritizes search oh, for certain yeah, things. yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just conjecturing there. That would be something that perhaps is a thing with it no longer taking over the full screen the way it used to. Yeah, we'll have to see uh, once we get into some of these sessions if uh, if they reveal any of that to us. Now, something I was rather disappointed by is the iOS 14 stuff that seemingly is not coming to iPad, the app library and widgets on the home screen. I do understand widgets on the home screen not being on that first screen, but the second screen would make a lot of sense uh, to have a widget screen and then the app library, I've got more apps on my iPad I want to hide than I do on my iPhone. So Yeah, I don't really understand that. Like that almost feels like something that has to be like it's coming and there was some issue and so it's being held off because it almost seems like it makes more sense on the iPad than on the iPhone. Like I would have been afraid of the other way. I would never have expected it to be only on the iPhone. Right. Especially the widget. Like on I understand yeah. like in the sidebar widgets, that's nice, but the second screen you have all this room to just have a widget kind of dashboard kind of thing there. Yeah, that definitely seems odd. And I cannot believe that they still won't let us put apps where we want to put them. <laughs> like, I thought for sure when all these rumors were happening, I was like, if they touch the home screen, they're finally going to let us put apps at the bottom of the home screen. And the fact that they didn't do that is completely infuriating to me. <laughs> and I can't understand it. Will some developers make a widget that's just blank, empty space? Is that even allowed by Apple? My guess, we I don't think anybody knows yet, but I, I'd put money on the fact that Apple would not allow that. But I hope that I can figure out some hacky way to do it so that I can build it for myself and <laughs> have it on my phone at least because it's just, it's crazy to me. Like, especially on the phone, the phones keep getting bigger. It's getting harder and harder to reach the top of the screen. But also, even even from the very first version of this, like, the moment they let you put your own images as your wallpaper, like, 90% of people's phones have pictures, or not 90% of people, 90% of people that have kids or grandkids, their pictures of their phones are pictures of children and it's usually pictures of children where their faces are completely covered in apps and then their like feet are still visible because we force all the pictures to be up at the top it's like most pictures people take the focus is on the top part of the picture not the bottom and so it's just crazy making to me that they still do this because i think it is aesthetically less pleasing and it's ergonomically worse yeah the ergonomic thing I just put widgets there now, which is a nice thing I'm able to do. On the SC, it doesn't really matter uh, with ergonomics. Yeah, that's yeah. a great phone uh, from that angle. But yeah, you mentioned the picture thing. That makes a lot of sense why you'd want it transparent versus having just data there in a form of a widget. Like if you look at any Android phone where somebody's spent any amount of time organizing their screen, they're always at the bottom. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, it makes much more sense, especially with these larger screens. And thankfully, we're yeah. getting a smaller form pack for the 10, so I'll finally be able to upgrade since we'll have something not totally ridiculous in that form yeah. factor. Yeah, anything else about iOS 14 or iPadOS 14 that you'd like to cover? Um, so uh, in the same widget vein, uh, 
it seems like the widgets are going to be quite a bit more constrained than they were before. There's going to be some kvetching about that probably among developers and then users as widgets that they've used for a long time either go away or are less useful. Interesting, because it looked like they were more advanced, but that's not the case. No, so, and I, I kind of theorized this whenever they were announcing it based on how, how it worked and the fact that they're letting you put them on your home screen now. But it seems like it's going to be, it's pretty well based around the concepts of uh, complications on the watch in the sense that it's an incredibly constrained environment development-wise so that it's impossible for you to make a bad actor widget that, you know, sucks up processor or battery life. Yeah, in their example, they actually used, here's an Apple Watch, and now it's on your home screen. The square form factor is literally, (laughs) this is an Apple Watch almost. Right, yeah, yeah, essentially. And so it looks like, uh, I mean, obviously, like how often they update with information is probably going to be a similar feeling to the Apple Watch. If your battery's high and you have a nice new phone, it's probably going to update relatively quickly. But when your battery runs lower or if you have an older device, it might be that your widgets update less frequently because they're sort of throttling everything down. It's not the developer's choice, you know, to update it every two seconds or something like that. It's the system deciding how often it's allowed to to get new information or whatever. Um, but the bigger thing is it looks like it's not really interactive, like, at all. Yeah, even Apple's own apps, the music thing, you're not able to play from there. You tap it and it opens the music app. I really wish they made them interactive because that would be so nice yeah like like any like of those timer apps uh you're not gonna be able to like start a timer it you know it's gonna have to open the app up peacock famously like has you know the the calculator widget that's gonna be completely impossible even like the reminders app you can't check off items you know you can only look at what items are there and then you can click it and it'll open up reminders and then you can check off items i think for like looking through my apps the majority of my apps that are quote interactive all they do is open the app up with some sort of deep link and it looks like that is possible like you can still have individual buttons like shortcuts or news and when you click it it opens or runs that specific thing but all in all I think there's going to be some frustration, but I think it's probably, personally at least, I think it's worth that frustration to to build out this new system. And I think they probably will slowly open that up as they figure out ways to do it in a sort of safe way. Right. For Dark Noise, do you have ideas of kind of the widgets you want to make? Because you're now able to have users like select between the different sizes and they can look kind of, kind of custom for those sizes in a cool way. Yeah, I think it's going to work pretty similarly to to how mine works now. It'll just be designed different and with different sizes, which is exciting. I wasn't ever super crazy about like the look of the widgets or what we could even do with them uh, previously, but a lot of people did like them a lot. And I had like, I have ways that you can customize the widget uh, inside of the app. And then the next time you look at the widget, it like reruns and kind of reorients itself. I'm not sure how that's going to work with the new APIs, but I might be able to just provide more widgets to the system that you can choose from in in the widget picker, which is going to be nice. So it might like totally get rid of the widget section in my app. Right. Um, and all of that will be done through the springboard, you know, uh, home screen UI, which is pretty cool. I'm not sure it'll really allow for any new, new behaviors uh, for my app, but I think it'll make the ones that I have uh, a little bit better, which is pretty cool. And they do look great. Like visually it looks really great. And they added all these complication supports for the Apple watch. Then a single app have multiple complications. Could widgets, do they behave the same? Can a weather app serve up an hourly and uh, something else in the same size class? Or does each size, or do you only get one size class per app? Let's see the exact same size class and yep. And then 
I can, I assume, pick a different location for each one. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So I have, like, you know, my current location is one of them, and then right next to it is Santa Clara. Also, can we can we appreciate the fact that uh, the dashboard lives from the Mac with the, the settings for the widget are behind the widget, and when you click on long press it to go to settings, it, like, flips the card around to show you the settings just like the old dashboard did? Yeah, I love that. That's, yeah, that's so great. That's great. I'm curious what what customization options we have for for that uh for the little settings thing that goes on the back cuz it'd be cool if all of my widget settings could be inside of that that would be neat uh, i'd almost love them to see them bring dashboard to the ipad <laughs> like they took it away from the mac and they'll bring it to the ipad now <laughs> that would be pretty funny and i i do love the widget kind of library that's really cool to have that interface for all that yeah it's kind of crazy that it, it looks like the previews are like live like you're getting real previews of what they would look like. Like it's essentially running the widget, uh, you know, Swift UI stuff that you provide in the previewer, which is kind of weird because like, like I'm looking at mine now, I have not opened, it doesn't look like I've opened reminders yet. So like in the preview page, reminders just shows dashes because I haven't opened it yet. And it used to do that for news, but I've opened news since then. And you know, it did the first run experience or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think all in all, that's like a pretty awesome UI because like the preview I'm looking at the news widget shows a news story from today. It's not like some canned image. It's it's literally just a live version of that widget that you can drop in wherever you want. That's really cool. And I was just uh, using the Apple library yesterday. And I really like the whole way they do these folders. And I hope these come to the iPad. But the big icons you can just tap on and that's the app. And then the ones you use less frequently in that category, you see them kind of in a folder within a folder and you tap that and there's all the other apps. That's a really nice way to visually tell you you can just tap on this to open it, or you can tap on this, and you have more apps you can find in there. Yeah, and it's really nice. Like the smart folders are pretty well laid out, and I love that there's a test flight uh, folder because <laughs> I have so many test flight apps, and I love the idea of just having them all kind of in one place. I did not even notice that. That would be great on iPad since that's yeah. where I use yeah. most of the test flights. <laughs> Um, so before we wrap it up, let's dive into dark noise. So what is dark noise for those that haven't used it? Uh, so essentially it's just a, it's just a white noise app. My goal is to just make a simple white noise app that felt super native to the system and modern. And that's pretty much what I did. It was really like a learning project was how I started it, where I could sort of pretend to be a real company with real design philosophy and business strategy. And I wasn't really thinking of it like it was going to be a business, but it really, it really kind of took off and I've have a lot of users and it's, it's become a whole thing. And it's been really, really fun to, to watch that sort of grow. Yeah, it is a beautiful app and really does feel like a first class iPad and iPhone citizen. And that's great. The inspiration, is this an app that you had a personal need for as you're working or sleeping or? So, uh, I, I was an Android user for most of my life until, well, this success was my first uh, iPhone and I bought it as like a one or two or three year old phone whenever I got it. So I don't know what what that yeah when I don't remember what year it was, but essentially I switched over to iOS kind of later in the world of mobile OSs. And so you know one of the promises of iOS and one of the reasons I was excited was all these indie apps and the whole third party scene being so much stronger than Android. But the one place that I noticed that Android, at least I had better options on Android that I had found than on iOS, was white noise apps. Uh, it's not that the white noise apps that were out there were bad. It's just that it felt like it was one of the first like categories of apps that took hold on iOS. 
And because of that, it got really, really saturated. A couple players became the main players. And then there wasn't a whole lot of development that happened. And then iOS has moved uh, design-wise for a long time since then. But most of those apps feel like they came out in the you know early days of iOS. And they've sort of updated and moved along with iOS. But their core kind of feels like that. And so... You know, I don't want to say that they're big or bloated or anything like that because that's I don't want to disparage them because honestly they have way more features than I have. But it felt like there was sort of this niche of you know the sort of indie darling style app for white noise that that felt like a nice clean iOS app, uh, even if it wasn't as feature rich. And ironically, I wasn't like this extreme heavy white noise app user beforehand. My wife was the one who would use one all the time, and. I noticed on the rare occasion that I would uh, go to bed before her or like she'd be out of town or I'd be out of town. When I went to bed, I started noticing that I needed it too because I was so used to hers (laughs) having hers on. And so I went through this journey trying to find one and all I wanted was something super simple because I'm not, you know, this hardcore white noise user. And so I couldn't find one that did it the exact way I wanted. And, uh, And when I had the opportunity to jump over to an iOS team at work, uh, despite having zero experience with Swift or any Apple development at that time, I wanted to do some sort of sample project. And because I'm a nerd, I already had a big list of ideas uh, because anytime I run into a problem, I'm like, oh, that's an app idea. That would be cool. Or, you know, website idea or whatever. And so I just went through that list and I was like, oh, white noise. That's probably the simplest thing I could do uh, to learn this foolishly, not realizing how complicated audio APIs and iOS would be. Um, <laughs> I thought it would just be the simplest thing in the world. And, you know, that way I can get my ha- a handle on UI kit and all these different foundations. Right. And then, you know, all of last year happened and, uh, I ended up with, well, I opened it up, opened up a beta, not really thinking it would necessarily take off. And a lot of people jumped on that. And that's when I found out about this whole world of people who use white noise as a productivity tool. And that definitely shaped the direction of how I designed it. But it never lost that sort of core idea of, I want this to be a very, very simple app that you can open, and there's a giant, very obvious play button that you can see even if it's dark and you have your glasses off and you're half asleep, and you can mash that button. That was sort of this thing I never wanted to lose. And so even today, if you and with all the features I've been adding, I still want when you open that app, there's just a big play button, and you can just hit it and never look at anything else ever again, and it will at least play white noise for you, and you won't have to think about it. And one of my favorite things is if you get in a habit of playing a certain white noise, say, at bedtime, you open up Search on the iPhone, and Siri suggestions will say, hey, start Beach, and you just tap that, and you're in, and it's, it's doing what it does because your iPhone knows what you're doing. Yeah, that is awesome. And if you do that enough, it'll start doing that even on your lock screen, uh, assuming you... I don't know if you have to turn that on Oh, or not. yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, I, I've had that happen, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's so nice. It's really cool because, yeah, essentially I'm just donating to Siri every time you do an action. And so it's just contextualizing all that and going, hey, it looks like you do this thing all the time. Do you want to do this again? And, you know, I added all that support in, And then the shortcuts APIs all utilize that same stuff. And so I started getting all these deep iOS integrations for free because I did this one thing and it all kind of snowballs. It's really cool how it works. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the kind of space of the sound apps and there's a lot of just very expensive subscriptions out there to have sounds and this is not that, which is which is great. Yeah, it's kind of a different thing because, like, you know, I'm not a, I don't subscribe to like Calm or Headspace or, or you know those meditation apps, um, but I do know like people love those, and a big part of those is this sort of 
curated feed. They have teams of people who produce content and get, you know, Matthew McConaughey or big name people to read you a bedtime story or whatever it is that they're doing. And there is a lot of value in that. But I felt like I could sort of I could slide into this other other niche of like uh, people who who want the power to be able to do all that stuff, but like they can control it themselves. And that's sort of the direction of a lot of my features is more in that direction. Yeah. And so you're not going to be recording bedtime stories for us in the near future. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to rule anything out. <laughs> so sounds is kind of what makes your app go. And I do love the sounds that you included. Uh, do you create these sounds yourself or do you license them from some kind of library that is out there? Or how do you get these? So the original, original idea was that, you know, this would be super basic and I was going to generate the sounds on the fly. Um, I quickly realized background audio is kind of complicated and trying to do that within the environment that iOS gives background audio apps was going to be pretty complicated, especially somebody who literally uh, wrote their first line of Swift like two weeks before I started. So I kind of moved towards the direction of recordings. But the problem was I didn't think this was going to take off. I, you know, I had, I had released, I had done a little bit of windows mobile phone development or windows phone eight development back in the day. And, uh, release some of that stuff on the store. And I don't even know if I ever made enough money to like get paid out. Right. Uh, so I just assumed this would be like that. There's a million white noise apps. I'm not going to make a lot of money off of this. So I didn't want to spend a bunch of money licensing audio. Uh, so originally I tried to record everything myself. Um, so probably about half of the sounds in the original version are recordings that I made. And then the other half are public domain, like fully creative common zero license stuff where the people have completely released their copyright which is it's difficult to you have to troll through a lot of that stuff to find acceptable sounds and i've definitely gotten complaints on certain ones that the quality wasn't necessarily up to snuff and so once i released and you know realized that this thing actually has some legs and i can invest actual money into it because uh, it's going to return some uh, i started replacing some of the sounds with actual purchase licensed sounds and the new all the new ones that came out since the original release are ones that i've purchased so you don't have a cat that you recorded at your house no uh that <laughs> one was that one was took a very long time to find uh i had multiple people send me recordings of their cat uh, <laughs> i have a friend that has a cat and i tried to like figure out a way to do that Ultimately, the problem there was it was probably my most requested sound, and I, I don't understand it as a sound <laughs> that people want to listen to. Uh, <laughs> I understand it. Like, I have a dog, and there's weird sounds my dog makes that if you listen to it on a recording, you wouldn't understand why you want to hear that, but to me, it's comforting. So I understand it at a conceptual level. And it's comforting when a cat's actually, like, on your stomach purring, because there's also, and like, you can a... Feel uh, it. Yeah. You can feel it, yeah. But... So I, that was a long Twitter, like I would download a bunch and then post them to Twitter and be like, is this what people want? And everybody's like, what is that? Why would you listen to that? And I'm like, oh, sorry. Is this what you want? And they'd be like, yes, that's perfect. And I'm like, they sound exactly the same to me. I don't understand. But so I think I landed on one that people seem to like. But yeah, that that one was kind of a journey. <laughs> now, if only you could make the iPhone haptically purr with the purr and you could have the <laughs> iPhone on your chest purring. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be something. Maybe maybe the new iPad will have like a super bassy haptic engine. <laughs> right. Uh, so, what sounds do you find yourself using the most yourself? Definitely, my go-to sound is the airplane. Part of the reason why I spent so long looking for a sound myself is I like the like lower frequency sounds, and it seems like a lot of the apps didn't, or at least a lot of the apps that I tried, I couldn't find those exactly. Um, it's kind of a sweet spot to get on because I usually play it through my phone. And so 
you know, if you get too low frequency, the phone speaker doesn't really even play that much or it gets kind of rattly sounding. And so the, the airplane noise, which that one is a recording I made on my trip, like exactly one year ago today, actually, I was on a trip to Seattle and I recorded that one myself inside of an airplane cabin. And so I kind of like that feeling too, because I know where it was recorded and it makes me think about that. But yeah, that's, that's my go-to. That one in the car. I do like the car sound. Very cool. And that's interesting. The airplane was quiet enough for you to be able to capture that. Uh, it's a very long recording uh, because I would be like perfectly still and recording. And I'm like, I wanted to make sure I had at least like a minute or 30 seconds. I can't remember. And, you know, I'd get close to having it and then like somebody would cough or somebody would cry. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, so uh, it yeah. took a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the cooler features is an experimental feature that lets you use dark noise while using other audio apps. And as we know, in iOS, this is a challenging thing. You can't have two audio apps running at once. How is this even possible? Yeah. So it's weird. Whenever you set up an audio session in iOS, you you sort of define what type of audio session it is so like some things are like short run like it's just a sound effect so all it's going to do is dim uh the other audio that you play right and then it'll finish and it stops but there is an audio session that is i just want this to mix with others like don't take over the audio on the phone just let it mix the problem is there's a lot of weird things that happen with that because like you said there's if you hit the volume button on your phone the volume you're controlling is the one thing that's playing audio, right? Hmm. And so if you have mixed with others on, you know, what volume is that button controlling? And ultimately what it's really controlling is like the master volume, but that's not something that's super clear to the users. So the reason that that setting is in experimental features is because it creates some weird behavior. So like it'll never show up on the lock screen. That's just how iOS works. If you have that mixed with others thing on, it won't show up in the lock screen. The volume slider on my main screen, it switches from controlling the entire phone's audio to only controlling this one app's audio and there's a bunch of other just like kind of weird problems that you can run into with that and i didn't want people to like flick that on and not realize you know it you're not going to be able to pause this from the lock screen anymore and so that that's why i did that but it is actually a relatively simple thing to add it's just it comes with a lot of weird uh side effects and there's some weird side effects that you have to code around too yeah it's interesting more apps don't do that since it is something you're able to do as simple as you are. My guess, because a lot of white noise apps do have it, but they often bury it in settings. I think probably for the same reason. Uh, and I think the reason like, you know, Apple Music or Spotify or the bigger audio playing apps don't do that is because it's confusing. And uh, it's tech support. as a, yeah, yeah, it adds tech support. It makes, it's a little confusing for the user. And like I found out uh, with, <laughs> I added a little like, uh, jokey Easter egg inside of the experimental settings where you, it's a goose mode, which just makes honking noises. It, it was when what, Untitled you, Goose Game came out. Yeah, I was out, wondering, and, are you a fan of that game? Yeah, Untitled Goose Yeah, game. everybody was making memes, and so I just like snuck it in there as a joke, uh, and people thought it was funny. But I learned that people would sometimes turn that on and not realize that they turned it on. <laughs> I don't know how exactly it happened. And I would get support saying, something's wrong it will literally only play goose sounds <laughs> and i was like uh-oh this is a problem so i ended up having to change that setting to where once you close the app it resets everything so it won't ever persist that uh setting but, okay gotcha so you know i think it's that same kind of thing right it, if you accidentally turn on mix audio and now 
you know, the app isn't ever showing on your lock screen. You might just think it's a bug of the app. Right. When in reality, this is just how this whole audio system works. But I wouldn't expect users to know that because I didn't know that until I started digging into the docs. Yeah. Uh, and then another thing before we wrap up, uh, shortcut support is in there. How have you seen people using this? That is definitely one of the things that's gotten a lot of like super positive feedback. And selfishly, it's also really nice because it gives users slash me in uh, support emails the ability to create features that I haven't actually built into the app yet. And this is especially true with iOS 14 because in iOS 14, they just added the ability for you to create timer shortcuts that run based on a timer and run in the background. With 13, they had this automation thing where you could say like at 403, run the shortcut, but what would actually happen at 403 is it would pop a notification and the user actually had to tap that notification for it to run it. But with 14, they gave you the ability to have it run in the background. So that means one of the most requested features I get is I want the ability to trigger dark noise to run a certain uh, sound in the morning at, you know, 30 minutes before I wake up. But that was not possible. iOS does not let people just like arbitrarily turn themselves on and do something at some random time. But now, because I have shortcut support where you can, you know, start any sound you want with a shortcut, with iOS 14, I'll be able to say, hey, you can just build this little shortcut that'll say, run this sound at this time. And now you'll have that exact thing that you want. And do we know if that works when the iPad or iPhone's in sleep mode? Does the screen need to be on? It does. I confirm this. Oh, that's great. Uh, Not only that, but you can have multiple... So, like, uh, another not as requested feature for Dark Noise is playlist support. So, like, if you want to say, like, you know, I want to listen to, you know, a light rain at 7 o'clock. And then, you know, 20 minutes before bedtime, I wanted to switch to thunder. And then right at bedtime, I wanted to switch to uh, light rain again or, you know, whatever. You could build that out now with shortcuts. I tested that. So, like... You can set different sounds to go to switch from one to the other. And because my audio engine already fades between sounds, it is just kind of like a seamless fade from one to the other. It's really cool. Oh, that's neat. And then um, I guess another thing in the app are themes. Do you have a favorite one or do you just like the default? Uh, I I mean, I like the, the default theme because that's what I kind of built the whole thing around. So that kind of leans into my uh, personal taste, I guess, the most. The steel theme, I also really like. It's kind of a, another dark mode. I'm I'm not a big fan of like pure black dark modes. Obviously, I have one in there because I know people love that. Um, but I kind of like those dark mode uh, apps that are in like the kind of grays where you still get some texture and uh, layering that can happen. And then, of course, hot dog stand, you know, Windows 95 reference that I know everybody <laughs> appreciates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do we know with widgets in iOS 14 if they have dark mode versions and light mode versions? Is that a thing? Uh... All the widgets look the same. Oh, no, no, no. A bunch of the widgets uh, turn dark. So it looks like that is uh, an option. Okay. It's just that Very weather cool. happens to not. But like the news app went from a white background to a black background. Nice. Okay. And that's, I think, a new ability, right? Or did that, was that around before? Um, That would happen with the previous widgets as well. Uh, okay. The like, default background that they had would change. But then also because it was just code, like you could put whatever you wanted in widgets before. Uh, they could respond to dark mode. So like mine, because the uh, my buttons are all kind of dark, whenever it would switch to the dark mode, like widget background, instead of that sort of light translucent color, it would become a dark translucent color. My buttons would become like almost invisible if your wallpaper happened to be dark. And so I have like a border that kind of shines a little brighter whenever it goes into dark mode. Very cool. And then, yeah, any updates or anything else you want to share about dark noise before we wrap it up? 
I mean, coming soon is uh, the the big one with uh, mixes I've been working on for way longer than uh, it probably deserves to have been worked on. But uh, you'll be able to like create your own custom mixes with as many as you want. Oh, like multiple sounds at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So you like you build a mix, and it'll show in that main list once you save it, uh, just as a sound, and you can make your own you know custom icons. Of course, it has animations in there, and uh, and then that all I added CloudKit uh, syncing as well, so that'll sync between your different devices. Very cool. So you could be at the beach with an airplane cabin above you, or <laughs> bingo. Yep. Yeah. There's a couple new sounds that kind of like make sense with each other. Like there's wind chimes, and then there's a separate windy trees one, which go very strongly hand in hand, but you can separate them out if you want or change the mix between the two. Nice. Yeah. I could imagine as we can share watch faces, sharing a uh, dark noise uh, mixes would be interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Th- th- that's not in the initial version, but uh, architecturally I built it in a way where that is something I can add. Cause I think, I think that would be cool. Very cool. And then, then anything else before we wrap it up? I think that's it. Cool. Where can people find more information about dark noise and what you're up to? Uh, probably the best thing is uh, my Twitter, which is at underscore Chucky C. Or you can go to my website, uh, charliemchapman.com. Very cool. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting about iPad OS and Dark Noise with you. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, happy WWDC week. Well, that was my interview with Charlie all about iPad OS 14 and his fantastic Dark Noise app. If you haven't tried this app out, I would highly encourage you to give it a try. It is one of my favorites. And as you mentioned, this shortcut support in iPadOS 14 and iOS 14 is going to be really game changer for apps like his. As a reminder, head over to patreon.com slash iPadPros to support the podcast. Thank you if you currently or have in the past supported me there. And with that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon. Thanks for listening.